guys. Thank you guys for bearing with me. Man, it's a lot hotter than I thought it would be today, so got this ready to go. Hopefully, uh, we'll need it, but um, I'm just grateful that you guys made it out here. It, it is hot. Um, it is a um, very challenging season, um, but I'm really grateful for us to come together as a community and to worship together, to, to see you guys in person, um, to worship with you, to, see, to learn from the Word together, and to see how we can continue in fellowship and uh, grow together as a body of Christ. Thank you guys for coming, being here. Uh, those of you guys online, those of you guys in the nosebleed section over there, thank you guys uh, for being a part of our ministry for today. Okay, so we're going to be in uh, Jeremiah 32. So if you guys can go ahead and turn there. And we're actually going to be uh, going through pretty much the entire book. Um, I, as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I was, there was times when I was like, oh, there are these four verses I'm going to choose, and we're going to focus on those four verses. And then it turned into, oh, but I have to include this part of the story because this is really important for the story. Uh, and then I had to pretty much include the whole chapter. So we're going we're gonna to go through it. We're gonna, I'm going to be jumping around with the verses. But I strongly encourage you uh, during the week, uh, maybe after the service sometime this week, read, read Jeremiah 32. It's a really amazing, beautiful passage. It really flows from Jeremiah 31 in the description of the new covenant that we receive, we look back on as Christians, we look back on the promises of the new covenant. Uh, Jeremiah 32 is uh, a, a continuing that theme. And we see the person of Jeremiah in a pretty similar, somewhat similar situation to us. He's, he's been put in stay-at-home orders um, by uh, Jerusalem. He's been put into a jail for preaching uh, things that are not very popular. Uh, but he's waiting. He's waiting on the Lord's work. So a question for us today before we begin during this COVID season, what are the things that we find ourselves investing our time and our money and our hope into? Is it the news such as CNN or Fox News? Are we wondering, uh, is our political system finally going to get its act together, or is it just going to go more into a hopeless spiral? Are we hiding our money in mattresses, securing our homes, changing our locks, afraid that a civil war is about to break out? Um, have some of us even maybe uh, drifted off a little bit spiritually during this time because we might feel, hey, if if God is on vacation, if God's not working near this time, why should uh, why should I um, why can't I be on vacation as well? And we're living in this challenging season. None of us expected the COVID pandemic to last this long. And there's several of you guys in this. Um, many of us have been affected in this church. Several of you have lost family members due to COVID. Some of you uh, have contracted the disease yourself. Uh, others of you guys are experiencing hardships financially hardships socially, emotionally, and it's something that we've all kind of gone through. So where's God in all this? Where's God? Is there any point of living in faithfulness for God? The temptation then becomes perhaps through discouragement or perhaps some form of disillusionment to just bunker in, just wait out this storm. Maybe God will show up again someday. I believe that the message of Jeremiah 32 is that, that God is calling of us to hear is that he wants us to be a people that even in these moments that we don't see God working or we don't see him uh, mightily moving the way we would expect him to, he's calling us to double down on our faith, double down on his promises, recognize that God is always working. He wants us to put our trust that he would move even in the mo remote of circumstances as we are going to be called to invest our time and our money and our hope into his promise. And we're going to see in this passage that though the investment that God is calling us to, to put our hope into, it may not seem 
great or spectacular. It may not even address our immediate need. But God is faithful to bring a great return beyond our imagination, and he is going to accomplish his will. He will bring a return on his promises. He is faithful. He has always fulfilled his promises, and he's going to continue to do the same for us. So our take-home truth for today is in these dark and chaotic times, God is calling his people to invest and to participate in the work that he is doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, the, the message of Jeremiah 32. We ask, Lord, that we would just put our faith and our trust in you all the time, always depending on you, Lord. Give us supernatural faith, Lord, to endure dur- during these hardships when we face uh, so, much, so many trials and our faith is tested, Lord, and we're discouraged. Give us the supernatural hope and trust as we turn to you in faith. We pray this all in your name, Christ's name, Christ's powerful name. Amen. So chapter 32 of Jeremiah. So remember, as we're continuing in the book of Jeremiah, this is a very dark time in the nation of Judah's history. The people have completely turned away from God. The king, the leader of Jerusalem, he's got his crony followers, and they've turned to practices that are absolutely detestable to God. And now in the year 587 BC, the nation is once again facing the wrath of the force of Babylon. They've already been attacked 10 years prior, and now they're receiving the, another attack as the, for, uh, the forces are surrounding the city once again. It's clear by now that God's patience with his people is over. Judgment from God is coming in the form of persecution, captivity, and the upcoming exile of the people into the foreign land. And Jeremiah, as I mentioned, he's, he's under house arrest, stay-at-home orders, whatever you want to call it. He's thrown in jail because Zedekiah, the king, who should have been representing the people before God, should have been turning the people's hearts to God. The king did not like the things that Jeremiah was saying. So what were some of the things that Jeremiah was saying? Well, he tells Zedekiah in verse 3, why do you prophesy, sorry, Zedekiah is telling Jeremiah in verse 3, why are you prophesying as you do? Why do you say, this is what the Lord says, I'm about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon. He's going to capture it. What Zedekiah is saying, why are you saying all these evil prophecies about me, your king? This is treason. You're telling us that our mighty nation is going to be defeated by a foreign power? What is wrong with you, Jeremiah? So what he does is he throws him right in jail. Jeremiah is shut in. He's isolated, a feeling that many of us can relate to, with nothing to do but think about what is God going to do next. And soon enough, God speaks to Jeremiah in prison, and he reveals to him that Jeremiah's cousin, Hanamel, is going to come and visit Jeremiah. He's not going to come to say hello. He's not going to come to say, is there anything I can do for you? Can I talk to the king on, on your behalf, try to get you out of jail? No, he's coming to to do a little financial deal for himself. He's trying to sell a piece of land that's no longer worth anything and hoping that Jeremiah will buy it. So God tells Jeremiah, this is going to happen, and it does happen. Jeremiah is anticipating. He knows his cousin is coming. God fulfills his word immediately. And he comes, and Hanamel tells him in verse 8, buy my field and Anathoth, because as the nearest relative, it is your rights and your duty to buy it. What a great sales pitch, right? Hey, how are you doing? 
cousin, it's, com- it's your duty to bail me out, help me out. Perhaps you have someone in, like this in your family who they don't answer your, their phone, they never say hello, they don't go to the family events, but they're always going to make sure to reach out to you when they need something. So ha- Hanamel comes and visits Jeremiah. He's not really coming to help him or anything. He's saying, hey, help me out, buy this piece of land. A person who's in prison, by the way. The unfortunate detail for Jeremiah in this purchase, of course, is that the, the land is in the hands of the Babylonians. The Babylonians are coming. They're sweeping over. They're taking all the territory as they're surrounding Jerusalem. This land was outside of Jerusalem. Babylonians have taken it over. And the overall future of the nation was not looking so promising at this time. Spurgeon describes this as saying, this is a strange per, uh, purchase for any rational person to make. Reason could not justify it. It was purchasing a state which had, was completely useless. This is a completely useless thing. Jeremiah's realtor, he would have counseled. He said, no, don't, don't buy this land. This is not a buyer's market. This is not a seller's market. There is no market at all for this land. There was no market at all. The land is in the hand of the enemies. It's worthless. They're not going to honor your commitment to buy this. But yet, the transaction goes through. And this is the key verse. In verse 8, Jeremiah says, I knew this was the word of the Lord. He knew this was the word of the Lord because the Lord was leading him and directing him. He said, your cousin's going to come and sell you a piece of land. And Jeremiah saw that as fulfillment of him to step out in obedience and to put his money in this investment. Jeremiah recognized that God was moving. He was trusting that this was what God was leading him to do. In verse 15, the word of the Lord says, houses and fields and vineyards shall be bought again in this land. Jeremiah recognized that there was a future promise of God bringing his people back into the land. They were going to go into exile. Okay, there was, there was no going against that. They're going into exile, but after the seven years, they will be returned into their land. And what Jeremiah is doing is he's investing into that promise. He's investing into that hope that once again, God will bring his people back into the land. Okay, so let's, let's look at Jeremiah's investment. If you're taking notes, I have it labeled part one, Jeremiah's investment. I have a couple of bulletin points, A, B, and C. If this sounds like a massive act of faith, then you would be absolutely correct. So let's break it down. Point eight of Jeremiah's investment. The investment did not seem great. If there was any time for God to demonstrate his power and his glory to the world, this would have been a very, very convenient time. We see all these kinds of movies, the hero and his team fighting against all odds to destroy the force of evil, and everyone lives happily ever after. That's the plot of, if you've ever seen any of those Marvel movies, Iron Man, right? Any of these movies like that, Thor, the Avengers. It's always the same storyline, right? The, the forces of evil encounter, defeat, uh, the forces of good defeat the forces of evil, and everything is okay. And so the scene is set up for a Hollywood movie, right? It's perfectly set up. Armies outside the city. Jeremiah, our protagonist, is locked up. Is the audience, we're on edge of our seats waiting Oh, once that miracle comes, it's going to be so amazing. Once that miracle comes and saves the day, we're expecting that to happen. But what happens instead is a little bit, I would call it anticlimactic. Jeremiah is buying a piece of land. 
That's useless. That's it. No fire from heaven onto Nebuchadnezzar's army. No angels descending with swords and shields, taking out those forces. God shows up to Jeremiah and he says, buy a piece of land. Have you ever felt that you can use something really big from God and you just weren't seeing it happen? Sometimes our prayers might sound like, you know, God, haven't you seen Ten Commandments or haven't you read the book of Exodus with the plagues, right? The splitting of the Red Sea, that bush that's on fire, right? You're speaking through the bush on fire. That's how you're supposed to be working in my life. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Why can't you be moving how you said in Exodus and all these great stories? The investment did not seem great. Point B, the investment did not appear to meet his immediate need. Jeremiah is stuck in prison during a time of warfare, famine, possible upcoming death. By all accounts, his life was not even safe. He needs to get out of the city. The purchase of the land would have required a fee of 17 shekels of silver, not an entirely great amount of money at the time. But during any time of siege or famine, you need your money to be able to provide provisions. Remember the COVID outbreak when it first happened and you go to the grocery store, right? Prices have skyrocketed. All the aisles are just completely cleaned out, right? People running up and down with their aisles, throwing stuff in the, in the basket, right? Jeremiah's purchase of this land during this, this very dark time would have been the opposite of what we considered practical at the time. The land was not useful. He couldn't live on it. And it, once again, he was in jail. Babel, Babylon possessed land, and there's no way they would have accepted the sales out. Okay, point C, the investment brought a great return. It didn't seem great. It didn't fit the immediate need, but it brought a return. During these things, Jeremiah understood that God was moving and decided to place his faith in him. It doesn't mean that it was easy. It wasn't. In verses 16 through 25, Jeremiah is praying to God. He's giving, him his, he's giving God glory. But at the end of that prayer, he, he just kind of stops and says, but you told me to buy a piece of land. And there's a hesitation in his voice where he, he's, he's kind of wavering and struggling a little bit. You, you, you've done all these amazing things. Thank you, God, for your glory. Think about, thank you for how wonderful you are. And now you're telling me to buy this piece of land. It was costing Jeremiah, and it didn't have any apparent immediate return. And so God responds to Jeremiah in one of the most beautiful texts of all Scripture, verses 37 through 41. And I want to read this together. This this scripture reveals what God was planning to do the entire time. Please read the scripture with me. 37 through 41. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart in one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. 
I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all of my heart and with all of my soul. Imagine God loving his people with all of his heart, with all of his soul, the infinite, infinite capacity of who God is, loving his people with all of his heart and with all of his soul. Do you see what God is up to? Even in this darkest moment for Israel, God is up to something more beautiful and amazing than we can possibly ever imagine. If you remember from Pastor Ron's sermon last week, there sometimes there are multiple layers to God's promises. There is short-term fulfillment, but there's also something that's coming in the long term. So when you read the book of Ezra and you read the book of Nehemiah, you're reading the story of God's people coming back into the land after the exile. Okay, so when we're reading those books, the people are returning to the land after the exile. But the, the verses that we just read, they're referring to that. They're referring to the people coming back to the land. But they're referring to something even deeper and greater. They're pointing to the new covenant. Okay, they're pointing to Christ. They're pointing to the work that Christ is going to do in the future to defeat sin. This covenant is eternal. It's never going to be broken. It's never going to be disrupted again. Can you imagine such a wonderful thing? Such a wonderful thing. A wonderful return in a situation that seems so bleak. In a situation which the investment didn't seem great, didn't fit his immediate need. It wasn't addressing what Jeremiah thought God could do in that moment. Hey, get me out of jail, right? Let's take care of the armies. Let's take back the city. That's not what God was doing. He was planning something so much greater. An investment that seems so simple, perhaps even worthless, but with a return that goes beyond anything we can possibly dream of. Okay, so now I want to move on to part two, which is Christ's ministry. There's, very, there's a lot of parallels between the story of Jeremiah and with Christ, and I want, to, I want to draw on those parallels. So part two, Christ's ministry. And then uh, subcategory, I guess you can say uh, point A, the ministry did not seem great. The investment didn't seem great. The ministry didn't seem great. By all accounts, to many people, Jesus was just another simply, he was simply another failed revolutionary who lost his life. He had hard teachings that pushed people away. He was labeled a heretic by the Jewish leadership at the time. He was killed as a criminal. And his disciples abandoned him at his most vulnerable time. Isaiah 50, 53, 2 prophesies about him centuries before his birth. Pastor Lynn preached on this a couple weeks ago. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was just despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The ministry did not seem great. Point B, the ministry did not appear to meet the immediate needs. Jesus preached often about the kingdom of heaven. For many of the crowds, they interpreted this as a revolution to finally retake Jerusalem once and for all. So we see that during Jeremiah's time, which is about, you know, uh, 500 to 500, 600 years before Christ, they're under captivity of a foreign rule. As the time goes by, it's one army, one nation after a nation, 
And by the time of Jesus, guess what? They're still under the rule of another nation, this time the Romans. So the crowd, they were eager for independence. They were eager for that. They were tired of being under another nation, and they were hungry for independence. Peter, even as one of Jesus' disciples who lived with Christ, participated in his ministry, even him, he misunderstood at one point the entire reason for Christ's ministry. In Matthew 16, 23, when Jesus tells them that, they were gonna, that he would go to Jerusalem and that he's going to suffer and that he's going to be killed, Peter tries to rebuke Jesus. He says, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that, Jesus. Don't you know the point of your own ministry? You're not going to go and die. And Jesus responds. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you are setting your mind on the things of man. The ministry did not appear to meet their immediate need. In point C, the ministry brought a great return. The ministry of Christ, it did address our need, the need for forgiveness of sin, and it was glorious. Paul sums it up perfectly in Romans 5, 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It was in this lowest moment of Christ's ministry, the rejection, the beating, the humiliation, being nailed to a cross publicly as a criminal, finally his death, that then later culminated culminated into the glorious work and the hope that Jeremiah was looking for. The greater fulfillment of what Jeremiah was looking for and that promise is found completed by Christ. The hope that Jeremiah was looking for was beyond just the land being resettled by the people. It was dealing with the issue of sin once and for all. A covenant established for all time with God and his people, God never leaving his people, being sealed by the Holy Spirit. As us Christians today, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Christ, you have been sealed with the Spirit. God's not letting you go. Romans 4, 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The requirements of sin were paid by Christ. The requirements of the old covenant, that God's people failed the covenant, those requirements were paid by Christ. We were given righteousness. We didn't earn it. The righteousness given was through the work of Jesus' ministry. It didn't seem great. It didn't necessarily appear to meet what people thought was their need, but it brought about a glorious return. I love the book of Hebrews. I strongly encourage you guys to just, just jump into it, read, read it. And I was, I was reading through Hebrews again as I was studying for this. And there's a, there's a portion where the author of Hebrews is just quoting from Jeremiah 31. Okay, Pastor Ron preached from Jeremiah 31, talking about the new covenant. We see the theme of the new covenant, covenant in 31, 32. So the author of Hebrew, Hebrews recognized the fulfillment of Jeremiah as pointing to Christ. Jeremiah took this step of faith into this investment, recorded what happened, a promise. The author of Hebrew reads Jeremiah and sees that prophecy fulfilled and shares it with us that we as believers can have confidence that God is fulfilling his promises all the time. 
He says in Hebrews 6, eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 6, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. Did you hear that? A better covenant based on better promises. Covenant that finally dealt with the issue of sin and the separation of God and man. And it finally brought the reconciliation between us and the Lord. God fulfilled his promises and he brought about a great return. Okay, part three, our application. Guess what, church? The work is not done. Okay, God's still working today. No matter the location we live in, no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in, God is still working today. In these dark and chaotic times, God is calling his people to invest and to participate in work he is doing. Jesus did not just call us to remain on the sidelines. He invites us to join with him in kingdom work. Here are just a few verses. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, the Apostle Paul writes, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has prepared this beforehand so that we can walk in them. God has prepared works for every single one of us here. If you are a believer in Christ, God has prepared a work for you to invest in, for you to put your faith into, to trust in his promises. My encouragement is that sometimes we won't see the promise uh, realized, but that doesn't mean that we stop trusting. That doesn't mean that we're going to stop putting our faith into God's work. We're going to double down. We're going to continue to step out in faith and double down on his promises. Perhaps you tried investing with Christ. You saw no return. You prayed again and again for your family to believe only for them to mock your faith. As much as you've shared your testimony with friends, neighbors, you've been rejected, oh, not interested, thank you. Now you feel discouraged. You're, you're participating with, with Christ's work, but you've been rejected. You read the word with your children, and you teach them about Jesus, and you read to them every night. You love them with all your heart, but right now they're more interested in toys, they're more interested in video games, or their friends. You've invested into your marriages, but you've, you've had quarrels, you've had disagreements. There seems to have been no return to your investment. Jeremiah never got to live on that piece of land that he purchased. So I, I went through Jeremiah, I'm like, wait, when is he actually going to live on the land? And he never got to live there. He never got to retire comfortably with his feet up in the air, collecting his, his pension, his retirement for all the hard work that he did for God. But he remained faithful to the work of God for the rest of his days. Just because you don't see the fruit doesn't mean that God is not using you to accomplish his will. 
When I was 18, I had a person from my church, different church at the time, and he was uh, one of the, I had a, a person from the church who was one of the deacons, and he wanted to really take time to invest into some of the younger men at the church. Hey, do you want to go on a bike ride? Let's, let's do a Bible study together. And I was 18. I was very immature. I'm like, okay, sure. I was a believer at the time, but I didn't have a necessarily a seriousness or um, a strong enthusiasm for the word. I was still growing. And I took him up on his offer. His, his name is Lee. And so we would go on these bike rides, and, you know, we would go to Norm's or Denny's or something like that, and we would read a, a, a portion of scripture together. And he was so passionate about the word. He loved the Old Testament. That was the one thing that really stood out to me. I remember being that age, and, well, the New Testament sounds great, but the Old Testament, you know, it doesn't relate to me, or it's confusing, I don't get it. It's almost like it appears like God's different personality. But he loved the Lord, he loved the word, and that inspired me. That really just motivated me to, to read the scriptures even more. And he was the person who also taught me how to share my faith. And it wasn't a, hey, let me sit you down, give you a class, and we're going to go through, you know, points one, two, three. He, he didn't even tell me that he was going to. He just started walking up to people and asking about their day, started bringing up the gospel message to people. Just a natural conversation that just came out of, just came out of him naturally. It wasn't a phoniness about him. It was a sincere love of Jesus. And we, we, we uh, lost contact. I went to college. And he might have looked at that time as, you know, I, I have a desire to invest into the young man, but he didn't really see the return from it. He was putting his hope and trust in that I'm going to do what God has called us to do, but he didn't, he didn't see the return. And, and I didn't see the return for a, a couple years later. But I always keep that in my heart, the things that he showed me and the things that he taught to me through his, his experience and through what he was living for Christ. He didn't see the return, but he, that didn't change his action. He still invested. He still invested in my life. And how amazing would it be for us as a church together to invest into the young people here at our church, to invest into our future leaders, to invest into our marriages, our children, to invest in each other's lives with prayer. How beautiful would it be that we would invest into each other's lives and know that God will complete a work in that. It doesn't matter if we see, if, uh, if we see results, we see what we expect to have. We're going to put our trust and our faith in God, knowing that he's going to do a work. He's going to do a work. Don't stop the work that God is calling you to do. Don't stop the praying. Don't start the discipling. Don't stop sharing your faith. Continue to pray that you would see as God sees and that you would hear as God hears. Whether we plant the seed, whether we're watering, whether we're pruning, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which part God is using us to, to impact another person's life. God is the one doing the work. So we give him the praise and we step out in boldness and confidence because he's the one doing the work. He's the one doing the work. I don't have to overthink myself. Of, well, I'm not good enough at sharing my faith, so I'm just not going to do it. I trip up over my words as I share. I get confused. I'm no good at it. We're stepping on faith because God is the one who does the work. And he's going to do a work in you. 
We are his messengers. So let's continue investing again and again and again and again, always in his promises, always trusting in the Lord's promises. I want to ask the worship team to come back up. Today we get to celebrate one of our elders, Bill, baptizing his daughter, Grace. We get to see a a public declaration of faith into Christ, a wonderful, wonderful thing and a joy to behold. We're so thankful for grace. We're so thankful for the work that Christ has done and is continuing to doing. And we're so thankful for the lives of Bill and Kit, investing in their family for years, trusting God to do a work and to see the results, the fruit of that. One of my favorite parts of Jeremiah 32 is an exchange starting in verse 17. When Jeremiah says, Oh, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then God responds in verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No, there isn't. There's nothing too hard for God. He is in control even in the darkest circumstances, when we, when we think he's on vacation, we think he's not there, he is there he's, there, he's working, and he's there investing. And let's be a part of that. Let's be a part of that work. Let's be a part of that investment. You might feel we're in California. We're in a desolate place. What good could ever come out of California? Well, someone once said those same words about Nazareth, and we know how the story turned out the place where Jesus grew up. If God is telling us as a church that it's a good time to buy into his promises, then it is a buyer's market. If he says it's a buyer's market to invest in his promises, it is. doesn't matter the circumstances. We don't need a realtor to tell us, give us advice on this matter. God's telling us to invest. And as God's body, as God's believers, we will invest into those promises. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this story of Jeremiah 32. Thank you so much for the example of Jeremiah who who experienced all these hardships. He invested, he put his trust and faith into you, Lord. And you were faithful to fulfill that promise. Lord, we ask for a supernatural working of your Holy Spirit in our lives that you would use us, that you would prepare good works for us to participate in, and that we would not be discouraged by our circumstances, but always filled with the joy of the Spirit, always filled with you, Lord, bold and courageous always confident that you are working